and welcome to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. Uh, we will hear the cultural journeys of manufacturing leaders and discuss best practices for creating healthier workplace cultures in manufacturing that will help recruit and retain employees. I'm your host, Jim Mayer. Today, we're going to be talking with Kristen Carlson from Peerless Precision, Inc. in Westfield, Mass. Kristen Carlson is the president of Peerless Precision in Westfield, Mass., a small precision machine shop specializing in manufacturing small, complex mechanical components, mainly for the aerospace and defense industries. Kristen is a past president of the Western Mass chapter of the National Tooling and Machining Association. Currently, she serves as trustee, vice chair of the NTMF, which is their uh, NTMA's foundation. She's a board member of the NMC, chair of the State of Massachusetts Workforce Training Funds Advisory Board, and sits on advisory steering committees for Westfield Technical Academy's manufacturing program, Westfield West Springfield High School's Pathways to Prosperity program, and Agat Agawam. Agawam. Thank you, Kristen. Uh, <laughs> high School's manufacturing program. Kristen has been with Peerless Precision since 1997 and has held various positions with the company since then. She assumed the role of president from her late father in 2012. Kristen has extensive experience in purchasing, sales, supply chain, and operations management. She is extremely passionate about changing the outdated narrative that encompasses manufacturing, bringing more women into manufacturing, and educating students on the many career paths and opportunities available in advanced manufacturing. So welcome, Kristen. How are you today? Thank you, Jim. It's really good to be here, and I'm doing great, and I hope you are as well. Oh, awesome. That's a not only a very impressive resume or bio, uh, but it's a mouthful. I, I practice that a lot, and I still stumbled over that. Tell me yeah, what that high school's name is again. It's Agawam High School. It's actually the town that I live in. <laughs> Agawam High School. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I, I hope to remember that next time, but chances are you're going to have to help me out again. So if you're, if not, you're not familiar with uh, uh, towns in Massachusetts, um, they like to spell things in a way that people who do not live in our state cannot pronounce. So, <laughs> <laughs> so is that done on purpose then? I think so. I think so. I mean, we could probably have a whole conversation about all of the towns that I mispronounced when we first moved here from Chicago. Um, and my mom almost throwing me out of the car when I couldn't say Peabody and I kept saying Peabody. So I, I've made that mistake too. I, it, it, it's just, it's spelled Peabody. Why don't yeah. you pronounce it that way? Yeah. Um, so thanks again for being on today. Uh, this is going to be a really exciting first episode. Uh, there's a reason why I had. Kristen, who is my good friend uh, and known her for a long time on here. We have a lot of fun when we have conversations. So I, I think today's episode will be a lot of fun as well. Uh, so Kristen, tell me a little bit about Peerless Precision. What exactly do you all do? How many employees do you have? Give me a little background. Sure, Jim. Um, so Peerless Precision, um, we've been, we first opened in 1976. Um, the founder of the company, Stan, um, was a grinder, lapper, and honer, and uh, I'm pretty sure how most uh, machine shops started. He had been working for another company and said, hey, I can totally do this myself. Um, 
So the company was founded on all manual machining, um, really tight tolerance work, uh, manual lathe and milling. Um, in 1996, he was looking to retire. My late father was looking to buy a, a established business um, and it all worked out. So my dad bought the company in 1996 and we moved to Massachusetts from Chicago in 1997. Um, at the time, the company had first been slowly bringing in some small CNC machines. My father saw the opportunity to bring in more and start really getting us um, set up as a key supplier um, in the aerospace and defense industries. Um, up until that point, we had been a little bit in defense, a little in aerospace, mainly electronics and commercial. Um, one of the one of our big I guess, capabilities that we boast about and that we can still do this today because we hold true to our roots. And while we're bringing constantly a new um, new machinery, new equipment to keep us current and bring us into the next century, um, we hold true to our roots and do not let go of the manual machining that built this company. So we have the ability to main maintain tolerances um, down to plus or minus five millionths of an inch in roundness. Wow. Three, plus or minus three thousandths of an inch in wall thickness. We can uh, get down to a two RA surface finish, one helium light band and flatness. And we're really uh, not looking at a lot of jobs uh, or parts to make if the tolerances are um, looser than plus or minus ten thousandths of an inch. <laughs> <laughs> so right. you guys are putting the precision in precision manufacturing. We we really do. And you know, it's not, it's one of those, it's it's still needed. Parts still get designed with those ridiculous tolerances for a reason. Um we actually we we make this um this valve and sleeve assembly um, for aftermarket aircraft components that has a diametrical clearance of plus or minus 20 millionths of an inch, um, <laughs> which is a pure mechanical suction fit fit. Um, and I'll tell you when I bring that part to trade shows and then en an engineer starts playing with it, the amount of ecstasy that shows up on their face with how excited they are that someone can do that is amazing. <laughs> I, absolutely. Uh, so, it, that's a hard number to even fathom. Uh, yeah, even comprehend, yeah. right? Yeah, you know, and it's it's not something they teach in schools anymore. It's um, anyone that comes in here that wants to go onto that side of our shop is learning on the job. Um, you know, and it takes wow. years to get someone to the point that they can do that independently and successfully. But it's worth it. So, um, I mean, what we we're a we're a job shop slash contract manufacturer. So we do prototyping through low volume production. Um, our low volume is maybe up to blanket orders in the low thousands, but we'll make one piece, five piece, 10 pieces. Um, we want to grow with our customers. So we want to start it at the ground floor, work on those prototypes, go through the iterations and get to the point where in production. So we've gone all over, over all those speed bumps with our customer already. Um, you know, it's, it's aerospace is a big customer. Uh, a big industry we're in. We're a huge um, def supplier to the defense industry, mainly for um, the critical components for the sub-micro cryogenic cooling systems for thermal imaging, night vision, and infrared cameras um, used by the military at the border for scientific research. They're on all the police helicopters. Um, uh, you know, and a fun little fact, um, that when they found the Boston Marathon bomber in 2013 hiding underneath the tarp in the boat, yeah, um, it was our customer's camera that found him. And I, uh, when I saw their logo, when they showed the video, I called the strategic sourcing manager up and I said, hey, I saw it was your camera. Is there any chance our parts were in that? 
and they were able to trace back the serial numbers. And sure enough, um, parts that were made at peerless precision were in the camera that helped catch the bad guy. Oh, that's, that's a really <laughs> cool story. I, I've known I you for that. a lot of years and either I have forgotten or uh, we had had a lot of fun that evening. I don't remember that story at all. So I, if I hadn't told you that already, shame on me because um, everyone know, like when the, most people, when they see me, they're like, you're the Boston marathon bombing girl. Right. I'm like, well, <laughs> let's rephrase that. <laughs> Not exactly the way you want that term yeah. at all. But. Yeah, but you know, so in at Peerless, we we manage the entire supply chain for our customers. We are dock to sock suppliers for um, our largest aerospace customer down in West Hartford, Connecticut, for um, our customer with the thermal imaging and night vision cameras. Um, and we do everything from you know we cut saws on or cut material on the bandsaw. We do all the CNC turning and milling. Um, we have four and five axis CNC milling. Um, bringing five axis in was a game changer and a life changer for all of us in here and for our customers. We also um, do ID, OD, and jig grinding, surface grinding, honing, lapping, uh, laser welding, mechanical sub-assembly, burring, blasting, and we have a little uh, precision lathe tool room as well. Wow. Yeah. So we, it's, you know, it's, it's funny because we're, um, you know, we do what we do a lot of, a lot of work. We have a lot of, there's probably thousands of part numbers that go through here on a yearly basis um, amongst all of our customers, whether they're um, repeat existing or brand new. Um, and I get a lot of people who think we're a lot bigger they, than they are, but we're, you know, we're, we do a lot for, for our size. Um, and it's always all about um, staying as flexible as we can. We do have to juggle a lot because we are that job shop and we are trying to make everybody happy, um, which, which can be challenging at times, but when we're able to succeed, it's well worth it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, awesome. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the culture of Peerless. Sure. Um, it's a company that's been around for decades. Yeah. Um, it's been in your family for 27 years, if I'm doing my math correctly. Uh, it'll be 26 years. Yeah, 27 years in April. Okay. So yeah. it's it's been in your family for quite some time. Uh, yeah. You may not be able to speak to what it was like before uh, it was in the Carlson family, but talk to me about uh, what you walked into when your dad first took over as yeah, far as where it was culturally and, and where have you gotten it to today and yeah. where do you want to get it to? Sure. And just a minor correction, because Carlson's my married name. So it's been in the the Mayer family for, for 27 years. I don't want to uh, do a disservice to the rest of my family and my late father. That's um, my fault. I, <laughs> I even knew me. that. You uh, only know me as Kristen Carlson, though, so it's totally okay. But in my research on Peerless, <laughs> I did see Larry Mayer all over yeah. the place. And uh, <laughs> just for a point of clarification, that is spelled differently than my mayor, uh, just yes. for our listeners out there. It's a different mayor. We are not related, Kristen and I, <laughs> although uh, uh, we could be. Uh, she, we should be. We, we should, should be. be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's a one-letter difference because you're a Y and I'm an I. Correct. Correct. <laughs> All right. So let's talk culture. What, what was yeah. it like when, when the mayors took it over uh, so, in the late 90s? 
so when I, like my dad had moved out here um, about six months or a year before the rest of us did. So I came, uh, I started, uh, I got here in 1997 when I was 15. Um, and, uh, man, that was, yeah, that was an interesting, it was one, we were in a different shop um, entirely, probably, uh, it was down the street, we we're probably maybe in a whole four to five thousand square feet and we're in ten thousand right now um about to expand and uh, uh, you know getting ready to expand throughout the whole building which will give us twenty thousand total square feet um but it was you know there was a lot of uh contention at that time um because of the way the original the founder ended up selling the company we had a foreman um who was expecting to be gifted the company and when he wasn't and my father bought it and came in, um, life was very difficult for a little while. It was there was a lot of um, contention uh, with the foreman and some of the other uh, team members at the time. Um, you know, but most of there, there's actually one one original employee or team member left here from when my dad purchased the company. And he's been with this company since 95 and he's and he's still with us, which is amazing. Um <laughs> But it was, you know, when I, it's, it's very much the, um, women don't belong here. Um, your dad's not from a manufacturing. I mean, my dad had a little bit of a manufacturing background, um, which meant, which it was, he worked at a, um, casket manufacturer when he graduated, uh, from <laughs> with his uh, master's degree for about a year. So he said, no, I know manufacturing. That's good. I'm good. A <laughs> little less precise, uh, than, than what you all are doing now. Little little morbid. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, I mean, at that time I was, I was the shop kid. So I was uh, cleaning machines, um, uh, climbing into machines, cleaning metal. <laughs> I was cutting material on a bandsaw, um, doing a finger check with the foreman every hour. You know, he'd walk by the saw and just yell at me, finger check. I'd hold up both my hands to show him I had them all still and we'd move on. Um, but there was, uh, again, there was, there was animosity, there was contention, um, there was setting, you know, certain people up in the shop for failure because they were threatening, um, you know, it, it wasn't intentionally a threat, but the employee, the team members that were there when we came in saw a lot, you know, the family members coming in as a threat and um, just everything, like they expected the whole company to fold um, yeah. and it didn't. So um, I think about a year, maybe two into, um, after my father purchased the company, the foreman actually left and took half the team with him, um, along with our sales guy, um, oh, to go wow. somewhere else. And, but you know what, when that happens, which is unfortunate, um, you know, when, when there's, when a fire destroys everything, that's a chance to rebuild, um, better, you know, to what you need it to be. Yep. So, uh, my dad, like myself was not someone who, um, didn't get back up when they got kicked down. <laughs> Good. So, I mean, I never saw, um, I was always lucky um, because even though it was like, well, that's the boss's daughter, you know, it's like where she doesn't know what she's doing and da, da, da. It was, everyone was very supportive. Um, I only got set up for failure once um, and it happened. I was, you know, trying to put some holes in these um, piston sleeve match sets on a drill press and the foreman had put in some bad drill bits and it broke off and shot in my hand. Oh. Um, but luckily no stitches were needed. It was all superficial. But that at that point I said, so I'm not a machinist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not and my it, career it, path. <laughs> and we're not, it's not for everyone, you know, yeah. but that doesn't mean that 
um, anyone can't work in a manufacturing environment. We just not might not be the ones running the parks, you know. Right. Absolutely. Um, uh, so there was there was a lot back then. It was a lot of um, bringing in new people, trying to find the right mix of um, you know employees and team members that would that would last here. Um, there was a lot of turnover back then. Um, and then my dad, you know, my dad had a fear of losing people, so he would also um, kind of bend to other people's um, needs and and desires and um, you know what they wanted, which is not always in the best interest for the company. Right. So, um, but you know, those the people that were like that are not with us anymore. Um, we have a really good team now. Um, you know, it's always anytime you bring someone new and you don't know what it's really going to be like until they've been there for a little while. Yeah. Um, so it's, I mean, any, it's, you know, it's either going to work out or it's not, but that's not any reason to stop um, and give up, which is right. the way my dad operated and how I operated, Good. how Good. I currently operate as well. Um, so tell, but, tell us about uh, when you took over the shop. Um, yeah. So yeah, a little uh, bit of a transition at that point, not, oh uh, man. What yeah, was all, happening uh, in your life, but also, uh, you yeah, know, the economy, there's a lot going on. Issues right now, here's your warning. Um, uh, so I had, I got to get a little bit of a back, background to lead up to that. So yep. I had, you know, I had been the shop kid. I had um, gone off to college. Um, and then when I came back from college, I came back to the company and did shipping and receiving. Um and I also helped with purchasing. I got to know all the customers and, and vendors and the part numbers. I still remember part numbers from back then that we still make today. Wow. And um, at that time I was living at home with my family and all three of my younger siblings and I was 21 and work did not get separated between work and home. It got brought home and um, it's easier in family businesses sometimes to take out anger on the family members than it is the employees. Yeah. So I made the decision with um, who's now my husband, what made me a Carlson, um, <laughs> made me a Carlson because I wanted to move up in the alphabet. I was sick of being stuck in the middle. Uh, <laughs> you wanted uh, uh, early roll call, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just get it over with. Like, do you know, you know how long it took to wait to get your name called when you graduated high school or college? No, put me up there first. Thank you. Uh, yeah, um, I would have been right after you. Uh, yeah, I, I know you would <laughs> We would have been sitting next to each other. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> um, I We moved to San Diego for about eight years. Um, and, and it was for me to see if I could uh, you know, do make something of myself outside of the family business. Cause I had this feeling if I didn't get out when I did, I'd probably still be living in my parents' basement, which that's just depressing. <laughs> um, so we did that and we, we did really good. Um, you know, we survived and, and we were both happy there, but it got to the point where we were both looking for a change. Um, my father unfortunately got diagnosed with colon cancer in 2009 at, at that time, it was very much, you know, it was um, stage one or, you know, early on. So they, uh, you know, uh, did some radiation therapy, some surgery um, when he told me, and we were actually on vacation in, in Cancun as a family when he decided to drop that ball on me. Oh my um, God. But better to do it in person than on the phone. Absolutely. And, and he had asked me if anything would ever happen to him. Um, would I move back home to help my mom either decide to keep the company going or to sell it? And I said, absolutely. And it's important to note that my dad always wanted me to be sitting in the chair and in the position that I am now. And because I'm as big of a stubborn asshole as he was, 
Um, I didn't want no one telling me what I was going to do with my life. Right. So, uh, you know, that's, you know, but ultimately, yes, if you, if something happens, I'm the oldest, I'm the responsible one. Um, of course, I'm going to move home and help mom make that decision. Sure. Um, never thinking because whoever you don't, you don't want to acknowledge that your parents aren't going to be around forever. Yep. Um, you know, so he was given a, a clean bill of health after the first round of treatment. His oncologist said, don't come, come back for another year um, in the beginning of 2011. And by the two, end of 2011, it was back and metastasized. Um, so it was, you know, he wasn't, there was no hope of recovery at that point. He did choose to um, go to treatment. He did a lot of different rounds of chemotherapy. Um, without it, they gave him three, uh, three weeks to three months to live. Um, he made it to October of 2012, almost to the end of October of 2012. And, um, you know, when he called me, so, you know, in 2009, he told me in person in 2012, when it was back metastasized, he called me at eight 15 on the West coast when I had gotten into work and decided to drop that on my, uh, drop that ball on me oh. while I was at work. So needless to say, I went home. <laughs> that, like, that work day was over. Was that? I said that work day was over. Yeah, he goes, he goes, well, I wanted you to be sitting down. I'm like, well, you could have called me like when I got home, you know, <laughs> when, when Mark was there with me to, to hold me at least, Absolutely. um, uh, it's never good timing, but it's okay. Um, you know, so when he told me that I, and I, and I did, I was in denial for a long time and I pushed out moving back home and I gave my my boss in San Diego, I was a buyer amongst other things at a fire alarm contractor actually. Okay. And I gave him a six, I gave him six months notice after I'd flown back to Massachusetts that March to go over everything with the management team at the time, the account, the accountant, the attorney, um, or the bank for the, the business and everything, just to lay it all out. This is what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and I moved back, uh, we got here in September of 2012 and I had about six weeks with him. Um, unfortunately at that time it had gone the, you know, it was in his brain. So he wasn't, he wasn't thinking straight and he wasn't my father anymore. But, um, so when I, when I came back because of that, um, before and after he passed away, there was a, um, you know, nobody knew what was going to happen in here. I didn't even know what was going to happen. Um, because I was coming, you know, from granted, I had worked in manufacturing. I was coming from a fire alarm background, and um, and before that, a gourmet cookware store and cooking school background. <laughs> um, but I, uh, you know, I'm I've always been one to figure things out. Um, I like a challenge, and a lot of what I heard and um, from our foreman at the time, who's um, you know, unfortunately had to get repurposed outside of the building because his views and um, plan for the future did not align with mine um had been going around saying she's just some silly little girl who doesn't know what she's doing and she's gonna run us into the ground and i caught wind of that and i said challenge accepted motherfucker so <laughs> which is the most Kristen statement i've heard so far in in this recording i've been doing really good until that until that and i really thought twice about that i'm like nope if i don't if i don't if i say something besides that it's not going to be the authentic it, it's Christmas. not going to be you yeah and that that's was, what we're going for right yep. authenticity absolutely. there's not enough of that in this world absolutely so you know i had we had good support from 
you know, a couple of the managers, um, well, one of the managers specifically, and then a couple of the team members um, who are now in a management role. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we had to repurpose the foreman outside of the building. Um, he did not want to grow. He didn't want to do any more work. And um, we were at the time um, pretty much beholden to two large customers. So if they, um, you know, if their their numbers went down, we would not be around anymore. So I was on a diversification uh, mission, not just for the customers that we serve, but also the industries. Um, and he didn't want any part of it. And then we had another manager who thought, um, again, it was a very much um, older male to younger woman type of thing. Um, certain generations have hard time taking orders from uh, women, especially um, one that could be young enough to be their daughter. Yeah. Um, so again, it was an uphill battle. Um, but now the, um, you know, the, we didn't, the only person we had that didn't survive that. And it was about, about a year and a half transition. And I literally had to go around, you know, red in the face, pulling my pants, I'm stomping around being a raging bitch <laughs> just to establish my dominance and my place as the alpha in the shop. Yeah. Like the buck stops with me. I've got my big girl panties on and you're either going to get on, going to get on board with that or there's the door. Sure. Um, I don't like being like that, but it's what was necessary at that time. Yep. Um, now I don't have to be like that anymore unless uh, one of my managers tells me they need to bring uh, bitch Kristen needs to make an appearance. <laughs> um, <laughs> Do you have a safe word if bitch Kristen has to come out? Um, that has not come up yet. I've never gotten to, I've never gotten that bad, I guess. Okay. Okay. You know, it's, you know and I can do it in a way to um, that everyone knows that I am like, um, you're walking on thin ice right now. Um, again, you're either going to get in line or the door's right there. There, it's your choice. But I'm not going to tolerate this BS anymore. Yeah. Um, or, you know, if you want to run the company, here's my here's what I would uh, sell it to you for. That's your <laughs> choice. And I want all cash and $1 bills so my buddy Jim and I can go to the strip club. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. You're going to make it rain. Come on, let's go. Um <laughs> You know, so that that was, you know, 2012 to, you know, midway through 2014, um, you know, we it, and it's been good since then. You know, you still you still have uh, butt heads every now and then. Yeah. But from, you know, the the manager who I really butt heads with um, because of the the age difference and the gender gap and everything, um, we uh, he knows who the boss is. He respect, you know, we respect each other. We work very well together. And then um, our foreman was um, replaced by not one person internally, but two, um, two, um, two guys who have been with us since 99 and 2000. They're both around my age and they both shared the same vision with me. And they have that. They already had the respect from everyone in the shop. So um, for me, it was the, you know, that was the right decision because it's always better to promote from within then bring a manager in from outside who does not know the people, the customers, and just the way the company works. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah. So nowadays it's, I'm more, you know, it's, uh, I'm a, I'm a doer who had to learn how to be a delegator. Um, I still struggle that with sometimes. And every now and then I have to have one of my managers just tell me to leave them the fuck alone. You know, <laughs> like I got this, this is what you pay me for. I'm like, you're right. It's not you. It's me. It's totally me. Um, I have a control issue. I won't lie. Um, but anyone who runs their own, own company probably does too. I think that's part of the, like, that's a pre a prerequisite, right? <laughs> I, I agree. And part of that is understanding that you do have that tendency, right? And, and yeah. 
learning how to overcome and coach your team or, or your leadership team uh, on ways that they can sometimes navigate that that persona yeah. of yours. Yeah. Or if I'm if I do something like that, tell me. Right. You know? <laughs> don't just don't just hold it in and get all upset about it. You have to let me know. Yep. Um, you know, so now it's like, well, you know, we've got people reaching out to me for a job status. I'm like, no, nope, I'm forwarding that to my production manager. <laughs> you know, let me know if he doesn't give you an answer and then and then I'll I'll see what the hell is going on. Yep. Um you know, but it's it's a lot of times it's like, all right, so what am I gonna do next? Someone give me something to do. I need a project. Um, but it allows me to focus on the business of the business. Um, I, you know, I, I spent many years in here as president of the company working for the business when I needed a business working for me. And now that's the way it is. And it works much better that way. I trust, I trust everyone in this company, um, implicitly. Um, you know, I have a lot of faith in my management team. They wouldn't be here unless that was the fact, you know, that was there. Um, and I know everyone in here, whether they've been here for, you know, three years or 25 years is fully committed to what we do and what they do. Yeah. Great. So, um, so talk to me about how do you feel the, the culture is at Peerless currently? I mean, it, it, is it a, a healthy culture? I would assume so with all this trust and honesty and and uh, communication that you have going on there. Talk to us a little bit about how how you perceive the, the culture at, at Peerless. You know, we, I, we've got a really good culture here. Um, it's, it's, um, it's been a lot of work getting to that point. And I know we have a lot of work to do. You know, we've got a mix of um, people who are all about involvement and engagement, other people here who are just like, I'm just here to do my job. I don't want to do anything extra. Yeah. Um, or like, I don't need all the bells and whistles. And I said, that's fine. I'm not going to force you to have fun with us or do any of the extras, but we'd love you to join us. Um, you know, and I appreciate you no matter what. Um, you know, it's more of an inclusive environment and culture that we have here now. And I think a lot of that, um, you know, is I will tout myself for that. It's because I make sure that happens. Yeah. When we, you know, in 97, when I started sweeping the floors, I was the only girl on the shop floor. Um, there was, we had a receptionist, but that was it. Um, when I started doing shipping and receiving, my mom was the receptionist at that time. And then I was the only girl on the shop floor doing shipping and receiving. Wow. When I came back in 2012, we had a girl, uh, Christian in shipping and receiving. And then my mom and I in the office. Um, now we have three women on the shop floor, um, which is amazing. Two of them came, one of them came straight out of a vocational high school, um, through a cooperative agreement, um, that we have. And, uh, no, no, her name's Amanda. Caitlin's the next one though. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, cause she, Caitlin came to us, um, in college. Okay. So, so in, I don't know if this is the same across the country, but in Massachusetts, um, any of the vocational technical high schools, um, it's, they have these chapter 74 programs. And as long as there is a chapter 74 program, you can hire a student under the age of 18 without worrying about, um, child labor limitations. Okay. Um, you know, because right now the way it is, anyone under 18 cannot touch heavy machinery, but because they are enrolled in these manufacturing programs at a chapter 74 school, we enter into a cooperative agreement with them. So they join us during their senior year of high school. 
and we get them for two full weeks a month. And then the other two weeks they're in their academic classes. And then if they can, and it's not going to um, interfere with their homework and their studies, they can come in and work part, you know, after, after school for a couple of hours a day during the week. Um, wow. And, that's and a really cool program. That's uh, it's, it's fantastic. And, you know, the school sets what their starting wage is. It's usually $2 above minimum wage. So now in Massachusetts, minimum wage is going up to 15 bucks an hour this year. So any senior in high school that starts here will be making $17 an hour. And that almost like that makes my jaw drop because my first job in high school was minimum wage is five twenty five an hour. I think. <laughs> and I was happy, happier than a pig in shit when I would walk home with a hundred dollar check. For Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm I, like, I'm going to fill up my gas tank this year. This week. <laughs> well, and gas was, I mean, I remember gas being, you know, a dollar, uh, 97 cents, you know, things of that. Yeah. So, when, I yeah. First, when I first got my license, it was 89 cents a gallon by work, by, by the <sighs> shop. So, and now, and I tell them that I'm like, you know, I, my dad used to do that all the time back in my day. It was like, <laughs> Now the kids are like, back when I was your age, you know, it was 89 cents a gallon for gas and minimum wage was five twenty-five. So do not complain about that $17 an hour you're about to start making Absolutely. for freaking floors and running a machine. Yep. You learn, and so they're getting, so ultimately they're getting paid to learn and it gives us that whole school year and they can actually start the summer after their junior year. Um, and as long as they keep their grades, I think, I think the, they have to maintain at least a C, maybe a B average. Otherwise, they get put on probation and they get taken off a co-op. Um, wow. So they're, I mean, so they're they're making good money while they're still in high school. And then, as long as they don't screw up, um, they have a permanent job as soon as they graduate. Wow, that's and really my stipulation is you have to graduate though because they get you know senioritis, and then they're making this good money. Do I really need that that high school degree? And I said, you know what? I'm like, I'm like, if you don't graduate, you don't have a job here. All you have to do is finish that diploma. Smart. A little extra like, carrot. Yeah. You don't want to do that. You can go work somewhere else. Cause I'm not going to entertain that because you know, you can, you can do a lot in life without a college degree, but if you don't get that high school diploma, you are screwed. Yep. You know, that's, you can't go anywhere without that. Yep. Um, you know, so Caitlin, the next one, she, um, yeah, we started, uh, Springfield Technical Community College. So she was uh, enrolled in their um, associate's degree program for manufacturing technology. Um, she had also gone to another vocational school before that, um, Pathfinder. And then when she graduated, and she had a co-op with another um, company while she was in high school, but when she graduated and she wanted to go to college, she didn't think that she could maintain a um, position with a machine shop um, and go to school at the same time. So she started working at an Ocean State job lot, um, which I think, do you guys have big lots where you are? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a big lots. Okay. So she was doing that. And then Springfield Tech has a learn and earn internship program. So it's like a co-op. So we got her on a three month uh, learn and earn internship program. I offered her a permanent position within a month. Wow. Um, she's still here. I mean, so Amanda's been with us since she this year is five years um caitlin will be four or five years this year um and then our other one tammy she actually she's older she had been working at another shop um a buddy of mine used to own and they were slowing down and he said you know she's so awesome i'd hate like i have to do some layoffs i'd hate to see her go without having a job do you guys need any help and i jumped on that yeah absolutely she's been with us for about three three years now. 
Um, so, and then I, you know, because of all that, I, uh, and we've had a couple, you know, other women in here, they either, uh, Caitlin's younger sister, Brittany actually worked here for a while. Then she decided she didn't like Massachusetts and moved down to, uh, Florida. But now I've heard she doesn't like Florida. So she might be moving back up here. And I told Caitlin, I said, well, if Brittany wants to come back, have her give me a call. <laughs> Absolutely. So, and I've all, you know, we've got it set up too, like with all of the schools that when they have co-op students or interns ready to go out, if they're women, um, they call me first. That's great. Because they know that they're going to be supported in here, um, protected as needed. I only offer protection for so long yeah. um, because you need to be able to, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've told many, I'm sure you've all, uh, heard this from me before. You got to have some big balls to survive in the manufacturing industry as a woman. And yeah. you have to have thick skin. You've got to have a backbone and you have to be able to throw it back at them as much as they give it to you. Yep. So, and that's anytime I interview a young woman or a woman in general, I, I take them through that whole thing. And I said, and if that doesn't sound like something that you're okay with, then you know, it's not, it's not going to work. Yeah. You know, when I, it's again, I want, I want to set you, I want to set anyone, not just women in here, but anyone up for success um, sure. and make sure that they, and you know, so we, and everyone in the shop um, wants anyone that comes in here to succeed um, and also thrive. Good. So it's a whole support group. Um, we've always been a training, we've always been a training shop and we're all about on the job training. So it's, you want to learn something else. Let's put you with this, with this person who's been running this machine for 10 years. He's, they're going to start training you. And now you've got a new skill. Wonderful. This episode of the Manufacturing Culture Podcast is brought to you by TCO Strategies. A company is only as good as its employees, and a healthy workplace culture is essential to attracting and retaining those employees. TCO Strategies can help you assess the impact of your company's people strategies on the employee experience. We combine industry best practices, a proven system, and a knowledge of our clients to build a customized cultural roadmap. Invest in your team, and create a healthy workplace culture with TCO Strategies. Visit tcostrategies.com. That's tcostrategies.com to learn more. So yeah. what's, what's your mix like uh, generationally? Uh, oh, my shop? God. We, so we have uh, uh, actually our youngest employee just turned 18. Um, she's actually our shop girl. It's my foreman's daughter. Um, and our oldest is mm, 66. Okay. So yeah. I mean, we've got, it was when I, in 2012, it was mostly, you know, the older generation, 40 and up 50 and up. Yep. Um, we've had, we've had a few retired, you know, folks retire over the past few years. Um, and then, and then we had a big gap and then it was like younger, you know, uh, co-op students in early twenties. And now we've got, we've got people from every decade, um, from the teens up to the sixties. That's great. That's yeah. That's great. And, and what's the average tenure, uh, of your employees? How long? So I, um, now I just, I just hired someone new, um, and I've got another new person starting on Monday. Um, so, so I'm not going to count those. Our, yeah. Um, our youngest team member, Ryan, who started, um, as a shop kid has been here for 
three years and our longest employee is about to celebrate 28. Wow. Um, and we have quite a few people in here who have, who have broken the 20 year mark already. Um, or about to, and a lot, a lot between the 10 to 15 range as well. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So it's, we don't, we don't really have a high turnover, um, unless someone just does not fit peerless. Right. And whether, whether it's me or one of the managers making that decision or them making it for themselves. Yeah. So, um, I've, I've only had to repurpose a handful of people outside of the building. So. I, lo I love that term too, by the way. So I can't, I can't even take credit for that. When I first, uh, when I first came back, um, you know, manufacturing in Western mass, it's very welcoming. Um, and yeah. a lot of people, a lot of people knew my father, yeah. um, and wanted to make, and he had set it up. So it's like, Hey, if you need any advice or have any questions, these are people who are absolutely willing to help and talk to you, um, without telling you how to run your company. Yeah. And, um, you know, so this guy, Glenn, who had been president of a company called B and E uh, Manufacturing at the time um, took me and showed me all of this lean stuff. And then at one point we I, we were sitting in his him and I were sitting in his conference room and he had talked had been talking about firing someone and he said, but we don't like that word around here. We say repurpose outside the building. And I said, Glenn, I love that. I'm like, <laughs> I use that. And he's like, absolutely, everybody should. So. Agreed. <laughs> I think everybody so should feel use free that. to share that. I I think that's it's just it's so much it's it's so much better than saying you know when you when you fire have to fire or terminate someone you terminate someone unless you're one of those weird people who really enjoys doing that which I know a couple of them yeah. um, it makes me sick to my stomach when I have to do that. I think um, those people who enjoy it are a little sociopathic. I, I mean, <laughs> I've done it and I'm with you every time. It makes I me. Want to throw yeah, it, it's I, just not I, a great feeling. I want to. I've I've had to do that, and people have started start, started crying. They mm -hmm. didn't see it coming, um, or it's you know, and you're you know, you you very well know that you're taking their livelihood away. Absolutely. Um, when it's not their decision, especially if they're oblivious to the fact that it's happening. Yep. And a lot of times, you as the employee, you can see that coming because it's you know, you know, something's not right. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I I don't enjoy doing it. Um, it makes me feel a little bit better when I can say repurposed outside the building uh, instead of fired, terminated, or I just can the rest. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we're going to wrap up, but before we do, I would love to explore three things that you've done, whether they're initiatives, uh, processes uh, that you've implemented at Peerless uh, mm -hmm. that you can share with our listeners and uh, anybody else in the industry, three things that you've done and what were the, what was the result? Was it higher productivity? Was it uh, financial benefits? What, what were the implications uh, from uh, making some intentional cultural changes there, Peerless? Sure. So, I mean, and I want to, I, I personally think that anytime um, changes are implemented to increase you know, or to either benefit the the culture or increase productivity is going to be a financial gain. It might not be right away, Absolutely. but it will be in the it'll it'll pay off in the long run. So you know, the the thing is worth worth having or worth waiting for. Yeah. Um, you know, so one of the first things I did, well, so when I came back to the company, we were very much an Excel spreadsheet shop. <clears throat> okay. 
every single job was done in an Excel spreadsheet. There was no central area for it. Mm -hmm. um, if anyone called looking for a job, it was either myself or one of my managers asking 10 different people in the shop where it was and what was the status. So, um, I mean, this is the first big thing. We brought in an ERP system, which everyone was very hesitant about because it's new. Why do we have to change it? We've always done it this way. What's wrong with the system? And it was really, sometimes I make decisions and I always say, I'm like, I'm making them purely out of selfish reasons. This is to make my life easier, which ultimately is going to make everyone else's lives easier. Absolutely. You know, because now we're able to give answers to our customers. Yep. You know, so we, we brought the ERP system in. I built it up myself um, so that I would, so that I could make sure it ran how we needed it to and that it was done right um, and not putting it into, because again, I'm a little bit of a control freak. Um and, you know, my, the management team is like, if anyone else had done it, it wouldn't work, you sure. know? So, so all of a sudden we go from not knowing where everything or having a central database, not knowing where everything is, um, to having it in all one system, you know, where we're doing, you know, a, a job can get set up. If someone calls, we can look into it, see exactly where the job is, what the schedule's like, you know, are we, are we over, um, uh, oh my God, I'm blanking on words right now because it's late in the day for me. Um, <laughs> are we are we um, under budget? Are we over budget? Are we right in time? Are we behind schedule? What do we need to do to make sure it happened? Um, again, this was, and this has been years, of, it took years to implement this fully. I think the last thing we did was get um, everyone to be able to clock in and out, log in and other jobs on a computer instead of manually writing it down and punching it into a time clock. Wow. Um, but, you know, it's all of a sudden it's making it's not just making my life easier. It's making everyone's life easier because they don't have to worry about keeping track of time. How long have I run a job um, there? We're seeing um, historical times so they can see if they ran that operation on that job the last time. They can see exactly how much time it took per part. And that's a goal for them to hit. So it's like a. Um, uh, like an incentive to, to perform better or like a competition type of thing. Absolutely. You know? Gamification yeah. is, uh, is uh, a great uh, tool when it comes to yeah. increasing culture, right? Everybody likes yeah. to compete um, yeah. and everybody needs a target or a goal and how that goal uh, correlates to their job. Right. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's great. Humans, humans are very competitive by nature. And if we deny that we're, we're, we're doing a disservice to everybody. Absolutely. Um, we need to take advantage of that and, and uh, yeah, make money off of that. Yeah. <laughs> Monetize it. <laughs> I mean, that's what the Olympics and professional sports is all about, right? <laughs> Making money off of people's competitiveness Absolutely. and gambling. Um, yeah. <laughs> You know, so that again, it was all of a sudden like we we know what's going on. We know what our delivery schedule is. Um, we know what targets we have to hit, and and everyone being more informed um, has increased. You know, bettered our on time delivery, um, increased productivity, which ultimately helps us financially. You yeah. know, and it also goes back to the team on the floor as well. Um, you know, once we did that, we we used to have a um, a half-assed leg bonus program, um, where it was get, always guessing what our shop rate should be, you know, how much we should be charging. I, I don't, you know, when I, I came in, I'm like, I can't, I can't operate like this, yeah. you know? So, 
the next thing be, you know, after we got the ERP system up and running and we had all this data in front of us, now I've got, and I don't call it bonuses anymore. I call it profit sharing because okay. it's not, um, because people expect bonuses. Yeah. Um, profit sharing is solely, it's, it's based on four things. Is the company making a profit? Yep. Um, and then that, that solely determines whether or not we're going to do a profit share, but then there's three metrics that we include in all, in our, um, prop quarterly profit sharing. Mm -hmm. It's based on on-time delivery, um, scrap percent, overall scrap percentage and, um, job profit percentage. Wow. So, you know, and I have it set up and I still do this in Excel because I put in my own little formulas when I'm closing out and rating jobs. Um, and it's just easier to do it that way because it all does the math for me to figure out what I wanted to, you know, where I need it to be. And it's like every uh, under each one of those three buckets is a score of like one, two or three um, with minimum targets on what we need to meet to get that score. Um, so like with on-time delivery, you know, the, the top one would be, you know, we're at hundred percent delivery on-time delivery and that you would get three out of that. If we're at 95%, you get two. Um, if it's 90%, it gets a score of one. Um, and, you know, usually we're in the 95 to 100% range on that. So we add all the three, the three areas up, you know, take the average that determines what the dollar amount is that everyone gets shared profit wise that for that quarter. That's and we put, we put out all of the um, information so they know exactly where those figures are coming out. And everyone has access to the spreadsheet. Um, aside, you know, I do hide the individual um, job um, costs and everything like that, but they see the overall. We shipped out this much. This is how much we it cost us. This is the profit we made this quarter you know, just on the jobs, not including like any overhead or whatever, you know, other things like that. It's solely based on the job, but they have all that information. And, and how, how is that helping motivate them? Uh, I mean, everybody's motivated by money, but yeah. can you dive a little bit deeper into that? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's one, if we, so let's say, let's say we're doing really good on like, you know, on-time delivery and profit percentage, but our, our scrap has gone, uh, too high to be, to be considered. Um, you know, that's, and they'll see that it's okay. So you guys could have gotten a score of three, which would have been the highest profit share dollar amount, but because the scrap, we had to take that out. So that's motivation for them to pay attention more to what they're doing to inspection. Um, if our on-time delivery starts slipping, it's like, Oh, I better, you know, stop screwing around. Cause sometimes that happens, you know, we all get bored. Yeah. Um, especially if you're running the same job over and over and over again, which doesn't happen too often here, but it does. Um, especially on longer running, running ones. It's, it's motivation for, for everyone to do better. Um, not just for themselves, but for the company, because when the company is doing good, that means everyone's benefiting from it. That's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, so and now they don't expect it from me anymore. They are, they like, that's what I never, I don't like people asking me, when am I going to get my bonus? <laughs> I, I have never been anywhere aside from peerless where people would be hounding the owner of the company. When are we going to get my bonus? I'm like, no, I'm not going to give it to you. You know, I'm like, don't ask me for that. I'm like, don't expect it. Be grateful when you get it. So it's kind of changed that mindset. No one hounds me for it anymore. Right. It said, I, you know, I have a, I'm like, okay. So once the quarter closes out, I've, I will have everything posted within three to four weeks. Cause I have to finish wrapping up rating all the jobs. Um, and then I will post everything by this date and everyone will know right off the bat, um, whether or not we can do a profit share that month, that quarter or not. And did it have a significant impact on lowering scrap rate and, and the other metrics that, that yeah. you have? 
absolutely. I mean, at the time we were, um, I mean, granted, we, we have to keep a very high on-time delivery rating with our customers in order to stay um, in good graces with them. Yeah. Um, but at that time, you know, it was more, uh, I think we were just hovering right around 90%, sometimes in the upper 80s. Now we're, we're constantly, usually 95 to 98. Wow. If we're at 95%, it's because uh, something uh, crazy happened, you know, where that was out of our control or maybe a machine went down or, or something, you know. Um, it's when it also motivates everyone to motivate each other. So, which is important when we've got um, younger people in here learning. Um, because if they're surprisingly, um, most, a lot of the kids coming out of Vogue schools, they're not, um, for a long time, um, inspection was not really enforced, um, when they're learning how to make parts and you have, they're responsible for 100% in process inspection in most AS9100 shops, you have to be, um, and so it's, you know, if they, if, if someone out there sees one of their coworkers slacking on it, they'll call them out. So they're able to hold each other accountable. Yes. That's and it's awesome. not just, it's not just on me, which is really nice. So I'm not always the bad guy anymore. Well, and it gives you a chance to then do more strategic things. If you're not yeah. managing to performance on a regular basis. Uh, yeah. Or do, well. or do podcasts with my buddies. You know? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> right. Focus on the business, not running the floor, which is not my job. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And when, if it has to be again, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so what's one more? I, I oh, think that one was more. Can I just share a really fun thing? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Cause I like, well, maybe a couple of fun things I like to, you know, when I, I was, I was an employee a lot longer than I've been an employer. And for um, the rest of my life, I will, or at least I'm committing to myself to remember what it was like when I was an employee um, to, to take what I liked um, from all the companies that I worked with, um, what they did good, how they treated their, their team members, and maybe take it to the next level. So a few years ago, and I know a lot of people in this country take either their chapters um, or their companies axe throwing now because of things I said at certain uh, conferences and whatnot. But I started, oh man, it was like 2018 or something. We had just had an axe throwing place open up in Agawam. And I said, and it was, we were doing really good. Um, we just got a big new customer and the day before, you know, and I, about two weeks before Thanksgiving, I said, all right, everyone, the day before Thanksgiving, we're closing down at um, noon. Um, anyone who wants to come, we're going ax throwing. You'll get paid for a full day. Um, if you don't want to go, you know, this is my way of showing appreciation. Um, if you don't want to go, that's cool. Um, you know, you don't have to have fun, but if you come, that's when you get, you know, compensated for the entire day to have fun. Right. Um, so we, you know, and I, I do things sometimes without knowing, um, how it's going to go. We went ax throwing. It was freaking amazing. I thought it was good stress relief. It was good team building. Everyone had a great time. There was a competition. Um, you know, we did, and we did that for a couple of years up until the pandemic, you know, when we couldn't do that anymore. Sure. And I'm hoping to do that again this year. Um, but last year, this started out as a joke, um, and I made it happen. And I think we're going to do another one in February during the Super Bowl. But I'm a I'm a baker. I have a lot of hobbies, um, and I I'm a, a I bake a lot of um, sweet treats. Yeah. Um, and I bring them into the shop. A lot of people say, you know, what makes you different from a lot of other companies? I said, oh, I'm like, I cook for people here and I feed them a lot. Homemade goods. I don't yeah. buy stuff from the store there. I'm like, what do you want for your birthday? What kind of cookie or cake do you want? <laughs> so Amanda, 
and our inspection department had made some sugar cookies that I gave her the recipe to. She had made two batches in one week. The first week they didn't come out right. She and I talked about it. I gave her some tips and then she brought them in a couple of days later and they were freaking amazing. One of our managers, Bill, uh, was screwing with her because he likes to do that. She's kind of gullible sometimes, <laughs> but I'm working on her with that. And I said, anything that comes out of Bill's mouth is, is just, it's messing with you, Amanda. Just know that um, because he knows that you think everything he says is real and it's not. Sure. Uh, uh, but it's, that's part of the machine shop environment. I mean, if you, we poke each other, we fuck with each other. Yep. Um, so he had said, oh, are you going to do a baking competition with like Kristen to see who makes the best cookies? And she's like, oh, I don't want to go up against Kristen. And then I was, you know, walking out and I passed Bill and he told me about that. And I was like, Bill, that sounds like a great fucking idea. Let's make this happen. So I talked to Amanda about it. And then I went over to Caitlin because she is also a baker. She's better than me because she doesn't need a recipe. This girl bakes from her heart. And um, I was in tears because my mouth was so happy with what she brought in. Um, like it was just, wow. it was, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. So we, uh, we made it happen and we opened it up. Anyone could sign up. Um, we did three weeks of a baking competition. First week was cookies. And this was all in December up until our annual, sh our uh, Christmas shutdown. Mm -hmm. We did first week was cookies. Then we did cupcakes. Then we did brownies and bars. And the only rule was, was that the person signing up had to be the one making the dessert to bring in. It could not be their spouses, significant others, or children. Sure. Uh, although, and I'm going off of, you know, this, I'm taking your word for it, but you know, I know most of the people in here, I know whether you're not, you baked that or your wife did. <laughs> um, you know, when I went out, I don't know if you've ever seen Nailed It or if anyone listening has ever seen Nailed It, but it's a great show on Netflix about awesome people show. who can't bake. Um, yeah. And it will make you laugh so hard you will cry. But the the winner of the first round always gets Golden Chef's hats. So I went on to Amazon and I bought three Golden Chef's hats. And then I went on to Etsy and I bought three wooden spoons and I had them engraved with 2022 PPI Bake Off Champion. <laughs> so anyone could enter. We did it all anonymously everyone in this company was a judge. So okay. they got to go in and they got to sample everything. And then um, we had a little box and they got, everything was numbered like one, you know, one through whatever. And they got to write down the number of their favorite one. And I said, you know, just do it based on taste on complexity and on presentation. Okay. So it was huge. I mean, I ended up winning the first week, which I didn't want to. Um, I was really trying hard not to bring my A game, but I, and I made a, a cookie recipe I'd never done before. Um, no one else, everyone else decided to play it safe. And I said, no, no, no. In baking championships, when you play it safe, you get booted off the Island. Absolutely. So bring it, bring it, step it up. Like I want, we all want to see what you guys can do. Um, you know, on the next week, Caitlin won, um, by a landslide. And then the last week, Caitlin and my husband, Mark actually tied for brownies and bars. Okay. So. <laughs> okay. So, so Caitlin, Caitlin uh, is a force to be reckoned with. She is. And now I got to step up my game next year for her. But, you know, everyone, this was three weeks of us eating sweet treats between <laughs> Thanksgiving and Christmas. So we're all like, oh, my God, we're all going to get like one gain way too much weight and probably get diabetes from all of this. Yeah. Um, you know, which is we were, we've, we've got a gentleman in here who is diabetic and he even like saw my foreman walking out with four cookies and he's like, can I just try a little piece because I can't eat the whole thing, but I want to try and I want to vote. And, and I was like, Frank, I might need to borrow your insulin pen later. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I said, I wasn't going to eat all four at once, but I did. And so did everyone else. <laughs> um, but now we're going to make this a regular thing. So uh, in February around Super Bowl time, we're going to do a chili cook-off. Perfect. Perfect. And, and we're going to do like a rib off uh, in the summer. Now that 
that's one thing I was going to bring up is one of the things that you're very well known for um, is your annual pig roast. Mm -hmm. uh, talk a little bit about the, the community that you've built uh, because of this event that you have every year. Yeah. So, so I didn't start this. My dad did. Um, he, we, we moved in the building we're in now in 2006. He had actually just gone to a wedding for his best friend and his best friend's daughter in Ecuador. Um, the, that December and they had a pig roast down there. So he comes back up here, tells the Western mass chapter, I've got this great idea. We're going to have a fucking pig roast. Um, at that time there was, there was a lot more machine shops on our street. So it started out as, um, we would rotate every year. And it was, you know, we'd get sponsors uh, coming in, invite local politicians, friends and family, supporters of manufacturing. It just it wasn't just for members of the Western Mass uh, Tooling and Machining chapter, mm -hmm. um, but for anyone who wanted to come, especially because we were inviting politicians, um, it was numbers needed to be there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we would, so we would do it at Peerless one year, then it would go down to another company the next year. And the caveat was, was if you were going to host, you had to open your shop up for a tour. Okay. Um, as companies moved out, um, and then when my dad passed away, um, it was down to two of us. And now it just, now it just happens at Peerless because again, I'm a control freak. I do all the work. <laughs> um, so I'm not going to do all the work to have it at someone else's shop. Um, right. but after my dad passed, we, um, actually started um, the Larry A. Mayer Memorial Education Fund. The Pig Roast is now its prime fundraiser. Um, and all the, it's still, it's a free event for our, everyone to go to. They can make donations there if they would like. Um, but pretty much all the proceeds from our sponsors um, go, you know, anything that's left over after covering the costs go directly into the fund, which is used to help promote and support careers and training and manufacturing in the lower Pioneer Valley, which is where we are in Western Massachusetts. Okay. Um, once we did that, um, we started getting double the numbers. So it's not just um, local manufacturing companies companies. Um, it's, we have schools coming in. We have, um, again, we've had the, the secretary of, um, education and workforce, um, labor there, economic development and housing every now and then I try to get the governors to come, but the schedules never line up and everything. And it's just, it's all about, you know, all of us coming together. We're all fans of manufacturing. We give shop tours. Um, I've got, you know, usually we have the mayor and like our local reps and, and senator, senators come in from surrounding towns. Um, I get up and I give a spiel, usually, you know, cheers. I used to call my dad the Big L. So I always give my cheers to the Big L um, at the end because he was uh, just like me. He likes to have, he liked to have fun. And um, those genes that I have now came from him, not my mother. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can tie one off with the best of them. Um, yes, you know you that can. from experience. Yeah. First hand <laughs> experience. <laughs> and um, you know, we have again, we've got sponsors. A lot of times they're um uh vendors that do business with us, um, or just people or uh, companies who have heard of it and they want to support it, get introduced to manufacturers, maybe that's a good in. Um it, it's just amazing for, and you know, so we're all fans of manufacturing. We're all getting, I mean, I go, we, we have a local microbrewery that we usually go to and they come in and do it. I do all the beer tasting, you know, beforehand. So I know that we're getting good stuff, you know, so everyone there loves manufacturing. We love, you know, love our beer and we love to eat us some barbecue. Um, and it's all about just getting together and being that community and just 
you know, it's not always business, um, but you make a lot of good connections. They all know they're supporting a really good educational fund um, that's going to potentially help some people, you know, maybe some of their children down the line. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So last question. Yeah. Um, what's the cultural impact of cardboard Kristen? On <laughs> oh my God. I have scared the ever loving shit out of so many people in here. Um, when I first got her, so like our, our, um, our coffee machine is out on the shop floor and there is like a plexiglass window in between our break room and the coffee machine and well break room. And then it goes into my CNC manager's office. So I ha- kind of had her standing like in the plexiglass window sure. when I first got her and people would be making coffee and just look up and like almost have a heart attack. Uh, we have fun with her. Like she actually stands in like the walkway between my office and the front door. So sometimes people walk in and they see her and they think it's me. Um, it's, it's really amusing for, her. I just have such a good fucking time with this. Um, she gets dressed up. Uh, so they had her, um, we have a dancing Santa Claus. Okay. Uh, we put out for Christmas, and this year they had her standing next to him with a Santa hat on and garland around her while he was um, holding jingle bells and banging on uh, aluminum drum drums every time he danced. Um, it's it's a way to lighten the mood um, yeah. and just just have fun. It's like people will come up and grab her out of my office and move her around the shop. <laughs> Well, and she's gone on trips with you. She's gone she to conferences. Yeah, she does. She does. She can't fly. She's um, too big to fold up, and I'm not going to bend her head. And nobody puts Carver Kristen in luggage. You know, <laughs> she. If I'm driving to a conference, she rides passenger with me so I can go through the HOV lanes without getting go. pulled over. I'm lying for any police officers listening. I don't do that. <laughs> um, uh, I've never, no, she gets, she gets, she sits in the back seat, but she drives with me. Right. Um, and I actually brought it to the, NTMA Eastern Conference last year in uh, Philadelphia, and everyone was a little like weirded out by her at first. I had put her right next to the paperless parts booth because um, they they do my marketing for me and everything. Um, and they had already seen cardboard Kristen met her at the pig rope, you know, met her when I got her, and um, and then all of a sudden, like she's you know we're announcing the winners, um, uh, announcing the winners for the uh, cornhole tournament, and I Bill Bill Pandos with the NTMA was doing it, and someone told me that I should go up because I was the um, uh, had just become chair of Amped at that time, yep. and um, I was like hold on hold on, so I grabbed cardboard Kristen and put her right next to Bill. Everyone <laughs> was cracking up. By the end of that week at that conference, um, people were moving her around the entire um, conference area. They were, um, there was a Granger vending machine that would put out hats. And every time I would walk up the stairs to the conference room, she had a new hat on. Perfect. So it was, I also bring her to schools and I have a little talking bubble that I um, have a toothpick that I put on her head and tape it down. And it just says, making stuff is cool. And it's <laughs> a way to, it's a way to um, get the kids okay walking up yeah. uh, to me, not being scared that I'm a, I mean, they think that I'm a responsible adult, I guess. Um, but like, Hey, like, look, you can be 40 and still have fun and make fun of yourself. And like, it's cool. Absolutely. You know, so it's a, it can be a good icebreaker. So I encourage everyone out there, you get them from fathead.com. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Fathead will sponsor this episode. Uh, hey, they, they should. I mean, I got it because my IT, the RIT company was a sponsor for the big roast in, uh, 
2021, the <laughs> owner of the company, Delcy, couldn't make it because um, him and his wife had just had a baby. And so he sent his, they call him Flat Delcy. So I walk up and I see this six foot cardboard cutout of Delcy behind the boot, the table of my, you know, my IT company sponsoring the pig roast. I'm like, oh my God, guys, where did you guys get this? I need one for Kristen. And, but I didn't want a six footer. Right. I'm 5'9". I have a complex. I don't want her taller than me. So she's not five feet. I might get a three or four footer. So if I can't make it to a conference, I can ship her. But I still don't know how I feel about shipping her. Yeah, mini me. I I think you do need a mini me. uh, Yeah. Mini ear you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But uh, yeah, maybe maybe even a tabletop. Maybe a foot. Maybe you could get a a desktop, Kristen. I think I'm going to collect the whole set because you can at least the side, the type that I have, you get a three, four, five, or six foot. Okay. And I'm like, I, I think I'm just going to go the whole, I'm going to collect them all. Yeah. yeah. And I'm going to have a different picture. Um, Cause you just take an existing photo you've got and tell them what you want the picture to be. And mine is actually, it's me giving two thumbs up, um, which is very appropriate for anyone who knows me. Um, <laughs> yep. And it's the first time I went axe throwing and the first time I got a bullseye at the axe. There you uh, go. Target. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing it right now. Like we we're on video, but we yeah. both know we're not, um, <laughs> but I'm going to go through my pictures and find like four more and make, make another one for each size of her. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> and if, if anybody from Fathead is listening, you can find our contact information on manufacturing culture podcast.com. Um, <laughs> Kristen, I, I really want to say thank you uh, for sharing your your story, your cultural journey today. Uh, your your three quick hits on uh, initiatives that you've brought to Peerless have been helpful to me. Uh, I'm sure it's helpful to our listeners as well. Uh, thank you. I uh, can't thank you enough for for being a part of this uh, adventure for me. And and thanks for being my first guest. Oh, Jim, thank you so much for having me. I am so, I'm getting goosebumps right now. I am so honored to be your numero uno guest. Um, and to be completely honest, I would have been a little butthurt if it didn't go that way. I, uh, <laughs> there wasn't a, a very long list of first episode people that I would have rather had than you. Um, and I'm just happy that it, it aligned where, where you could uh, take some time today. Yeah, um, and I'm just going to say good luck to everyone else following up this act. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, next week's guest, uh, he's got some big shoes to fill. Uh, <laughs> and I can tell you he does not have a cardboard cutout of himself. Not yet. Not yet. Did you hear that, Fathead? <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. If you have any questions or comments about building a positive culture in the manufacturing workplace, please leave them in the comment section below or email us. You can find our email on our website, manufacturingculturepodcast.com. Remember to tune in to our next episode where we'll have yet another leader in the manufacturing world uh, share their cultural journey. Uh, and also their three initiatives that they implemented there to help change their culture. Uh, until then, thanks for listening. Uh-